Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to the start of a new week on Football Social Daily. It might have been a long weekend, but there is only a short distance to go in the Premier League season. The finish line is in sight and we still don't know the most likely outcomes at the top, the bottom and in the race for European football. Liverpool could still win four trophies this season. They are all but in the final of the Champions League again. Villarreal in their way tonight, but the Reds hold a two-goal advantage. Meanwhile, it was a three-goal lead for Manchester United, who beat Brentford in the top flight last night. Ronaldo on the score sheet again, but will he be one of a cluster of names who have played for the last time at Old Trafford? Fulham FC certainly haven't. They won the title in English football's second tier last night. Can they stay up next season and who will join them in the Premier League in 2022-23? All of that to come on today's episode of Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and I've got Joel Anderson, Joel Anderson, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson with me this morning. Hello, boys. There's a hybrid normal months. Yeah, well, you can tell it's been a long weekend. How are you both? You're right. Yeah, very good. Not too bad at all, yeah. What about you, Joel? I'm good. I'm I'm just I'm recovering at the moment from the the, the holiday weekend superbug, so <laughs> back, typically back on the men when you have to start working again. Did you kick your feet up and watch Manchester United last night? I mean, kicking your feet up watching it's a bit of a, a bit too much, <laughs> isn't it? But um, it was a bit more enjoyable than usual, put it that way. Well, that's where we're going to start on today's episode of the show. Manchester United 3, Brentford 0 in the Premier League last night. We'll shortly come on to Fulham's promotion and who might be joining them in the Premier League next season, as well as Liverpool's second leg of their Champions League semi-final at Villarreal. But first, it is the Theatre of Dreams where we begin and United rounded off their home games this season with that convincing 3-0 victory over the Bees. All of the talk, though, Joel, was around those players who could potentially have been playing their last game at Old Trafford, the players that are going to leave in the summer, the likes of Cavani, Matic and Mata. And actually, Juan Mata was someone I wanted to focus on first because he played as number 10 last night. He's very good in that position and we don't really see him play that often at all, let alone in the 10 position. So starting off with him, who I think many people who watch the game can agree he was the, the man of the match. Has he been misused at Manchester United? He's been there nine seasons now. It looks like his time's about to come to a close. Yeah, well, when he first arrived at Chelsea, he was player of the season prior to that season when Mourinho first came in. Um, and that was due to playing in the number 10 role. I think he, he got something ridiculous in 50 games, 20-odd goals and 30-odd assists. He had an unbelievable season. And I think he was only 24 at the time. And then when David Moyes brought him to United, he just went totally against what his game was about because everything was about accommodating Wayne Rooney in the number 10 role. So Mata had to kind of shift out onto the right wing. And that's been the story ever since, really. He never, ever got back to those levels that we saw at Chelsea during that like absolutely electric season. It was a strange move. I think it to be honest when David Moyes first signed him it just felt a bit like <clears throat> it felt a bit like a statement signing it wasn't one that was necessarily needed it was more so one that was just on the basis of trying to pick up the team and pick himself up and trying to pick the fans up because it was going an absolute nightmare uh, prior to that January transfer window when he was brought in so ever since he's been bought he's just been misused and in football, the number 10 roles slowly began to gone, uh, begin to uh, 
ease out of fashion a little bit and teams are playing more of a flat three midfield rather than a number 10 and it just seems as though he's just been going more and more into the shadows as time's gone on and it's it's a shame to be honest because he's got so much quality and prior to him moving everyone was so excited to have him at Old Trafford because he was one of the best players in the league by an absolute mile it's just a shame that I think he just came at the wrong time maybe if he came under you know maybe right now when Ten Hag's coming in um, under a bit more of a upward trajectory manager more positive thinking manager where the club's not about to go into an absolute abyss for 10 years then maybe it might have been a bit better of a time for him but he's yeah he's, he's a top professional isn't he I don't think anyone would say anything bad about you know his time here I think he should, should have probably moved on maybe three or four years ago to kind of resurrect his career a little bit but yeah I think that's just the professional he is isn't it I think he always had the ambition to try and get back into the team or help the team out but yeah it's, it, overall it's been it has been a disappointment you have to say we won't dissect the game too much because in all fairness it doesn't really mean much United probably aren't going to finish in the Champions League spots and Brentford probably aren't going to go down so it did feel like one of those kind of end of season dead rubbers despite the fact there are a couple of games to go for both teams but of those players supposedly leaving the club in the summer Marley, Cavani, Matic, Mata, Jesse Lingard, which of the group will be missed the most? Or is it a case of all of them? Thank you very much for your service and goodbye. Yeah, I'm probably probably thinking the latter, to be honest. I, I don't think any of the names you just mentioned uh, sort of take anything away from Man United week in, week out. You know, um, when, when Juan Mata was starting last night, you know, everyone kind of looked at him and gone, oh, Matter starting. I wonder why. Like, it's obviously just like a bit of a send off thing, and you know the last home game and what have you. So that was that was something where you you not you haven't got we're not used to seeing Matter and and Matic in the first team at Man United um, in in this season and and last season and probably even the season before as well. So I think Matic is going to the team and and done all right in in recent weeks, but in in games with any sort of tempo, he just gets lost and he's clearly. Uh, you know his his mobility went four or five years ago. To be fair, so he's he's sort of a passenger in in Man United need to address that situation in the summer. But in terms of you know, is it going to be a loss for any of those players to go? I, I don't think so because you're going to get a huge huge amount of your wage budget back. I think all three of them are on comfortably over a hundred grand a week. And if you you put that, if you reinvest that into other areas of your squad, which you desperately need improvement. Then uh, I think that's a, that's you know smart business, and we've not associated Man United with smart business for for a little while now. Um, well, ten years now. Um, so yeah, thank you and goodbye. Thank you for the the last of um, the last of your efforts, and um, yeah, see you later. Well, one of the players who wasn't involved last night, he didn't get on the pitch and it looks likely he's going to leave, is Jesse Lingard. Now, Cavani, Matic and Mata all got some minutes last night. They all played and there was, you know, kind of, I wouldn't call it a lap of honour. It's probably not the right terminology to use after the season Manchester United have had, but they did show their appreciation to the supporters. Jesse Lingard, though, wasn't given that sort of send-off, Joel. It's annoyed some supporters on social media. Do you think it should annoy them? I think you can look at it from quite a few different angles, to be honest. Obviously, the first one is that when fans have seen Edinson Cavani come on instead of him, I think that does leave a bad taste because Cavani's literally 
picked and choosed all season. It's been a disaster of an extension from on United side. Um, it's quite convenient how he was now declared fit to play for the last home game. Yet I think he's missed probably twenty odd Premier League games out of a possible thirty eight, which is just ridiculous. Um, but then on the other side, I think that what Paul Scholes has came out with in the last couple of weeks about Lingard telling him things about the dressing room. I wonder if that's played a part in the fact that he didn't get to come on in the end. Um, I do think that there's probably something deeper to it than just selecting Cavani over him. Um, And Rangnick, to be fair, has never been a massive fan of Lingard ever since he came in. He's not really played him much uh, or included him in squads too often. But then when you see in the past, for example, you know, Rio Ferdinand, I remember him saying quite clearly that after the day United won the title, Edward came to me in the changing rooms and said, we're not going to be renewing your contract. So he never even had a chance to say, you know, official farewell. But to be honest, in football, everyone has to remember it's a business as well. And sometimes sentiment goes very much out of it when you've got people at the club with different agendas or these things going on behind the scenes and you're not in control of it. So you don't always get that goodbye. The same happened with Robin Van Persie as well. He just kind of disappeared into the shadows. The club didn't really give him a massive send-off that he deserved after that season. So there's loads of ways you can look at it, to be honest, in the way I see it is just, yeah, maybe he should have come on before Cavani, but I mean, the guy's, Lingard's basically been gone since last year. His head's not been at the club for a long, long time now. Um, sure, he's been at the club for, for a long time, but there's been multiple opportunities to be able to do it properly. And you shouldn't have to wait until the last day of the season where it feels as though it's been long overdue, his departure. Um, I think it's just it just seems like there's just a lot of emotion involved in all parties involved um, but yeah it's, it's distasteful but this is what the club has come to at the moment it's just the fact that Rangnick needs it falls on Rangnick's head inevitably doesn't it it's the fact that he, cho- he chose to bring on Cavani instead of him and is it is it something is, people should be bothered about though? I mean, yes, okay, Lingard, he, he's he's done well. He scored a goal in the FA Cup final, helped United win against Palace in 2016. He's come through the academy. He's a Manchester United fan. Um, people can blame Rangnick for for not bringing him on, but is it something at this moment in time with kind of what Marley was saying about Cavani, Matic, and Mata not really being missed that much? Lingard might well fall into that category. Is it is it something that people should be wound up about? Well, I don't know, not really. In my opinion, I'm not too bothered about it. It's just the fact that, I mean, you're coming on in front of the fans. I don't really see, it's just a token gesture. At the end of the game, you can go around the pitch and get clapped off by the fans anyway. It's not as if he started and didn't get taken. Yeah, to me, to me, it's all very token gesture-ish and quite um, just something else to moan about. Everyone's known he's going to be leaving anyway, regardless um, so that was the situation always and it's the same for a lot of players maybe Phil Jones is probably leaving at the end of the season yet yeah, he's just been sat at the bench just kind of waiting and he's been there for a good 10 years now um, so that, that sometimes that's the way football goes for you it doesn't always end in happy roses and you know a, a red walk carpet stand innovation when you leave Sometimes you go out the back door and that's the way you just got to approach it in football. Sometimes sentiment goes completely out of the window. Um, but yeah, he's had good moments at United, but in the last year or so, I think he'll probably look at his look at himself and think, 
I could have been part of that West Ham Europa League run. I could have been part of that Premier League run, and he's just been basically sat on the bench, stagnating. So yeah, it's it, I don't, for me, it's not really an issue to get too worked up about. Joel mentions Ralph Rangnick, Marley. It's his last home game as well for uh, for him managing Manchester United on an interim basis. He's taken the Austria job, which we haven't had a chance to talk about, actually, um, because of the long weekend. That kind of broke over the course of the weekend. He's going to stay in a consultancy role for Manchester United. He says that he isn't happy with his interim spell at the club. Is that a fair assessment? And what's your take on this whole um, Austria job that he's going to be taking on for next season. Uh, I think it's a a weird appointment. His his whole um, well, if we start at the start, I think it was a weird thing to appoint an interim for six months. Um, I don't think it's something that many clubs have clubs have done it in the past. To be fair, but not when not unless they had to. I think they were sort of backed into a corner in 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 many times. Remember when Chelsea sacked. Was it uh, Scolari or Mourinho, and they brought in Hiddink both times because he had he had sort of experience of, of as being a, a coach of, of big big names, and he came in and did well for them. But it was different with with Rangnick because he's never managed yet. I mean, he hadn't managed a club for like was it like nine years or something like that, and you know he, he was more of a, an upstairs guy. Um, and then they, they said about the you know, moving upstairs at the end of it. But yeah, he's not really moving upstairs, is he? He's moving away and he's going to be a consultant, which is just not the same. It's not a director of football. It's not a a, a chief scout or whatever you want to call it or something like that. It's like a, a weird hybrid role and, you know, six days a month apparently and then he's managing Austria and it, it, the whole thing doesn't really make any sense to me. Again, as many, many things with Man United haven't over the last decade, I don't really think they've made it a good decision off the pitch ever to be honest um since Alex Ferguson left um but with you know with with his spell as manager you know he says he's not happy with it and I think that's just because he I think all managers just have an ego and they they think they can be the ones who can come in and sort sort things out and you can you can understand that as like a a, a manager in his 60s who's seen a lot of things around the, around the world and has a lot of experience in different situations and you can you can understand why he fancied the job and fancied the the chance to sort it out, but I don't think anybody realizes the job that is there at Man United and the whole culture problem. He's talked quite openly about it. In in fairness to him, and he can do that because he's not really got much to lose. Um, he's like I say, he's in his sixties. He's not really a coach, so he he can only win from from coming in and seeing what things are like and 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 put himself in a stronger position to um to help out anybody that comes in so it's um it's a strange situation um i don't think it's it's been the right one for man united because ten hag now has to come in in the summer and and sometimes sort of form his opinions off the back of what rangnick says who he's never met and never worked with i don't think um in his in his career it's it's a strange situation and it, it's a it's a a brave club that looks at models of, of of different clubs around Europe, and they look at how Man City are doing it, and they look at uh, you know, how Real Madrid and Barcelona are doing it, and they go, "No, you, you know what? We, we've we've spotted something that no one else has done. We're going to do it differently. Give an interim a manager for six months, and then start again in the summer because it just, you know, it it I can't think of it working elsewhere, but." 
it has to work for Man United because they're running out of running out of time really. Because the longer they stay off the the perch at the top of the top of the league type of thing, if they start finishing sixth and seventh most years, you know, the the aura of the club is slowly going to fade away, um, and they need to they need to stop that from happening. Well, will Cristiano Ronaldo be a part of the side for Manchester United next season? The 37-year-old scored his 18th league goal of the season last night. He did score uh, a goal before he tucked the penalty away that he had, uh, but that was called off for VAR. And at the end of the game, he was one of the players kind of taking in the applause from the Old Trafford crowd. There were some suggestions that he could have been saying farewell is he staying, Joel? Do you think Cristiano Ronaldo's future lies at Old Trafford? He's on a two-year contract. So there's at least a year left. Um, someone would have to buy him in the summer or he'll have to come to an agreement to, to terminate the deal with a year left by mutual consent. It's almost an unknown as to whether Ronaldo will stay. The suggestions are that Eric Tenag seems to be doing pretty well with Ajax with Sebastian Allaire as their striker and Cristiano Ronaldo is certainly someone who's more than capable of performing at a top level still as we've seen this season 18 goals and this isn't a question about was he the right fit for Manchester United was his signing a good idea or not the question here is pure and simply does he stay do you think we'll see him at Old Trafford again next season I think it might be a necessity next season just because there's very very far and few between top strikers that are actually available in the summer um, ones that are very much unproven ones that might take a good year or two to actually adapt. Example, Darwin Nunes. I think that if you take out the 25 goals a season player from this United side, you're going to be trying to find goals from every other area of the pitch. And next season, it's going to look completely different to what we saw yesterday in terms of the team lineup. As you say, though, it just depends on what Ten Hag is looking for from his side initially. I don't know how he'll want Ronaldo to play but I've, I've noticed in the last month or so Ronaldo's game has definitely changed in terms of him being way more active in the game pressing more being more involved in the build-up whereas at the start of the season he was a little bit more static a little bit more just kind of poacher it looked like he just lost his footing a little bit um, and a yard of pace but it seems as though he's really changed his game up a little bit I don't know if that's because <laughs> Ten Hag is coming in and he wants to make sure that he's showing a good impression that he can press because Ten Hag's teams do need to press um, but I think that considering how much money he probably is on and the fact that I don't really see where he goes after this I mean everyone's talking about going back to sports in Lisbon because of the Champions League but I mean how far do you get with Lisbon in the Champions League I don't think he wants to be in it just to be in it I think he wants to win it still um, so I don't really think that's an option I think he'll definitely see out his final year now um, and just kind of try and at least win something next season under a manager and a, a club that looks to be going a little bit more in the right direction compared to this season but I'd be, I w I'd be surprised if he goes because anywhere else from here I just don't really see where else I think any other club after this would feel like he's kind of easing out of football and I think he wants to still play at the the top level and in, in the Premier League I think he's tested himself a hell of a lot at his age as well some people say that Manchester United are as many as six years behind Liverpool and Manchester City well one of those two clubs is in a Champions League semi-final tonight the other tomorrow Manchester City at the Bernabeu on Wednesday but Tuesday night sees Villarreal versus Liverpool and we'll talk about that semi-final next after this 
Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily and Liverpool still could win four trophies this season, but their next test is in the Champions League. It's the semi-final second leg away in Spain against the seventh place La Liga side Villarreal and they are 2-0 up on aggregate currently the Reds. Barring an almighty upset, Marley, it's pretty much guaranteed that it's another Champions League final for Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? Yeah, for for sure. Um, I can't see anything major going wrong, to be honest. I can't see Villarreal overcoming a, a two-goal deficit, um, especially without away goals as well. I think that's huge. Like, there's because away goals have gone. You know, if it was two nil, and they'd it's like if it was three one, for example, like overcoming a two-goal disadvantage to Liverpool is it's hard at the best of times. But if you did have that cushion of an away goal, then Maybe, but the fact they've got to score three times to uh, to to get Liverpool out of the competition without reply is 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 a huge task. Um, I don't know if Gerard Moreno is back for them last uh, for in the second leg tonight, but I think he was a, a massive miss in the first leg, um, and I think they had a couple of others out as well. So it it was kind of a sort of bad timing thing for for VRL. if they were ever going to come to Anfield and and keep it tight and maybe nick one on the counter attack. You know they didn't they didn't quite have the squad for that. Um, um, but yeah, going into the second leg, I think it's um, it's it's just a massive task. And it like we've seen how well Liverpool are playing. They they rotated at the weekend against against Milo and uh, you know Newcastle just didn't quite have enough to to beat them, and they weren't quite at the strongest as well. You know they they didn't start Salah and and Trent Alexander Arnold, and they still got it done. And you know having those two fresh coming into the team. Again, I just think Villarreal haven't got much of a chance, unfortunately, but it's been a hell of a run for them. I think it's a town of like 17,000 people or something like that. Um, so for them to get this far in the in the competition and, and extend Unai Emery's incredible run of European Cup competition progress is is massive for them um, and it'll set them up for, for years to come with that, that extra money. Yeah, well, I think actually Gerard Moreno is available for... Unai Emery tonight and Villarreal that will make a bit of a difference for them but he suggested the former Arsenal manager that his team needs to play a perfect game to beat Liverpool and yeah they need to beat them 3-2 because you know with the away goals rule and and all of the rest of it um, not being in play they literally are a flat 2-0 down and they can't really allow Liverpool to score um, uh, to beat Liverpool by two without um, without conceding or at least a two-goal margin is not going to be easy. But that being said, the Yellow Submarine, as they're ironically known, uh, Joel, they've got nothing to lose. They are the home team. Jurgen Klopp says he's expecting Villarreal to come full bore at them. But can you see that happening with how the first leg unfolded? If I remember rightly, seven days ago, it was very much one-way traffic. They will have to, but the only difficulty is that they have to play, like you say, the perfect game and prevent Liverpool from scoring. I think the only time... The last time Liverpool didn't score was when uh, they lost to Inter Milan at home. So obviously they can be got at, but if if, there, if there's any encouragement there, is the fact that you know Inter Milan went out at a very early stage in the competition as well in the round of 16. So they have to, well, they're going to have to play completely ultra attacking, um, really throw bodies forward. But Liverpool will 
and is, as we've seen in the Premier League this season, it's been impossible to contain them in every single game. It just seems like it's inevitability that they're going to score at some point. And that's the only difficulty Villarreal have, to be honest. And in the league, they're not really looking like they're going to be in the European places this season. So this is really all or nothing for them. Um, and it might be the best opportunity they get for a number of years again. So it's... It's one way you just leave it out on the pitch, don't you? It's kind of similar to how when United played Schalke, I think in 2010, um, when they got to the semi-finals, when they had a young Manuel Neuer in, in goal. And that was a game where, you know, they're in the second division of the Bundesliga now. And they'll probably never see those heights again. You don't know how football's going to take your, your team, but they're a well-run club. But it's, it's a case of trying to contain that Liverpool attack. And I just don't see them doing it at all. Um unless they have the absolute miracle I think the only time I can remember that was when Roma was it when they beat uh, Barcelona 3-0 at the Olympico when uh, Manolas scored that header in the last seconds to take them through it's going to it's gonna take them a, a miraculous kind of game like that where you know they hold the 1-0 lead until the 80th minute and then something magic happens so I think they're going to need to rely on not only a perfect game but a lot of fortune as well to fall their way um, which I just I don't see happening. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty straightforward game for Liverpool in terms of not conceding too many. I think it'll be a draw in the end, but I think it's going to be uh, Liverpool going to the final. Yeah, presuming they do go through to the final, that means Liverpool will then have played every available game to them this season. If you exclude the Community Shield, which some people consider the curtain raiser for a campaign, I don't really count that. It's remarkable. I mean, we hear Jurgen Klopp moaning about the schedule, but where does that fit in, Marley? Considering he's managed to keep his side relatively fit for what is it about sixty games or maybe even more? It's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, it's some achievement. I- ironically, it kind of goes against his uh, what he's been moaning about. You know, yeah, <laughs> the players exactly. are going to get burned out and get injured, and they literally haven't this season. Liverpool have had very <laughs> they've played every game. Yeah. There's no other games for them to play. Yeah, they've uh, they've had very few injuries. They've, they've done well, to be fair, at Liverpool this season. I don't know what the, the secret is, I don't know what they've been doing on the days off and, and what have you, but I think... Um... Drip Doctor. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So, I mean, Asri's lurking in the, in the shadow somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what's happened because I think one thing we've seen with Liverpool over the last two years is, is where they were last season when they had... Um, when they had injuries, um, and they, I think, didn't they lose? Didn't they, did, did they lose six six in a row or something at Anfield? Mm, they it lost was... their they lost their home record, didn't they? And yeah. then they ended up losing another four or five at home. Yeah, yeah. Burnley and, and Brighton beat them, I think, and uh, one or two others as well. And it looked like they only just scraped into the Champions League. Um, and I remember saying at the time it was it was so fortunate how they finished third last season because. Uh, I think results on the on the final day favoured them, um, but the big difference between then and this season is that the, is the injuries. You always knew Liverpool without Van Dijk and uh, a few other. I think they had Matip missing all season as well, and Joe Gomez was injured too. So they ended the season with Nat Phillips and Reese Williams at centre back, and it was um, it was always a case of like when Liverpool get those players back, they're still going to be bloody good. Like they're going to be great again. So. We've seen that this season from from the the first whistle of the whole season, they've been they've been amazing. So, you know, there's been no injuries. There's been you know so many goals scored and and everything. 
um, and they've played every every available game, which kind of proves how good they are. Um, and you know they could end up with four four trophies or or well anywhere between one and four trophies. So it's um, the carrots there dangling in front of them. They've just got to got to see it through now because the, if if Klopp's thing of burnout, if his worry of burnout comes, it's going to happen at the worst possible time, isn't it? Uh, so we'll have to see uh, see whether that manifests itself into into a complete collapse or or not. Yeah, I feel like we're in a position now with Liverpool at the moment where we're really just running out of things to say about them. You know, we're almost talking about this game against Villarreal, which is a Champions League semi-final second leg, just shrugging our shoulders because they're 2-0 up against the side that are 7th in La Liga. It should just be simple for them, and I'm sure it will be. I- I'm-, I'm sure they'll get through. You know, Even if it's a draw, that's fine. They're through. And it's it's just crazy to be talking about Liverpool and Manchester City in the way that we do, just because... They have set the level so high now for other teams, not just in the Premier League, but also in Europe. And the fact that we're doing a preview on this podcast of tonight's game, and it's almost a foregone conclusion, um, I think it just shows just the quality of these two sides. But anyway, second leg, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people taking it in. Liverpool against Villarreal in the Estadio de la Ceramica in uh, in Spain um, tonight. Second leg, Liverpool 2-0 up on aggregate. Should be a breeze for the Reds, but football isn't always like that. Regardless, I think we all agree that they probably will be in the Champions League final at the end of this month. Well, one team who are champions already are Fulham. They are back up to the Premier League. They won the championship last night. Champions of the second tier of English football. We'll talk about their success next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me and we're going to talk now not exactly about the Premier League, but it certainly does have Premier League implications. And that is Fulham Football Club, the London side, have been promoted as champions of the second tier of English football. Deservedly so as well. They are back in the Premier League as of next season. But, Joel, and it's a big but, will they stay up next season? That's the question that people are going to be asking to next May when we're talking about the end of the Premier League season. Will they have stayed up? What do you think? Well, this is the big thing around teams, you know, like Fulham, Norwich, Bournemouth. is the fact that everyone celebrates them coming up, but then it's kind of a ne- it feels like an inevitability that the next season they're going to be back in the Championship again. And they need to approach it in a different way, clearly. When you see, for example, Mitrovic, I think he finished on 43 Champions League and Champions League Championship goals, which is just it's ridiculous, isn't it? That's nearly a goal a game. Um, but then obviously when you come into the Premier League, it feels like 43 of those goals is probably worth about eight Premier League goals and the, the level just completely changes and the opposition changes. I would hope that they would finish in the uh, avoid relegation but it just seems it just seems to me like you have to approach it a different way if you want to remain in the Premier League it feels like for example when we take that Sheffield United side who was it in their first season I think they finished ninth or eighth um, they just made very very smart signings under Chris Wilder um, where it wasn't too crazy as we've seen in really bad examples in the past Example being Chris um, QPR, where they literally signed every single 
Premier League cast off and it just ended in an absolute nightmare for them. You can either approach it that way or you can approach it a different way. And right now, they seem to have a pretty solid foundation. Obviously, they're going to be losing Cavalio to Liverpool, but I'd be surprised if he didn't loan him back to them uh, for the season because I doubt he'll get too many games in that Liverpool side. Um, but you're going to have to be relying on your striker to get your goals. And Mitrovic has got a bit more pressure on his shoulders now for them, considering how many goals he scored last uh, this season. It's just going to take a good amount of really good recruitment and a good amount of just typical just management, to be honest. As we've seen with Brentford this season, they didn't make too many crazy signings, but they kept the pretty main core of what brought them up in the season and along with really good management as well. So for me, I don't think they'll stay up <laughs> to answer your question. Uh, but I mean, it, again, it just depends on the recruitment and how how clever they go about it. Example being, you know, Brentford signing Christine Eriksen and Sheffield United when they brought Dean Henderson in. Just these one signings in the team really elevated them rather than getting these very small ones who kind of don't bring too much. So it's going to be a case of just being smart in the market, I think. Well, you mentioned Mitrovic. We'll talk about him in a second. But the main crux of your point there, Joel, was recruitment. And that's what I want to ask you about Marley because... As Joel rightly points out, they've spent in the past and it's not worked. There was one summer then they came up to the Premier League where I think they spent over £100 million, went straight back down again. They've been patient with managers. For example, they gave Scott Parker a real decent chunk of time in the Premier League and he ended up taking them down as well. It wasn't quite enough. It's just not worked. Whatever they've tried, whether that be spending big, being patient with managers, all of the little things that they've done differently every time they've come up haven't seen to work so how do they make sure that whatever they do this summer does work and that they don't yo-yo again what is it that they're missing because you always hear this about Watford and Norwich and mainly Fulham they're too good for the championship but they're not good enough for the Premier League the problem is that there isn't a division 0.5 you know there's a there's there's a top division and a second division and that's it so so what do they need to do um it's hard to it's hard to suggest what they need to do, um, just because I don't think they've done a huge amount sort of wrong um, when they've when they've came up previously. I think they've they've tried spending money. Um, you know, they they spent a lot of money uh, the last time they came up, and it didn't really work. Um, they they fought for a bit and it, it gave themselves a chance at one stage, but you know, ultimately, you know, finished eighteenth and, and went down. So. Um, I think they've tried that. They've tried keeping the uh, the team together a little bit more. I think in the first time they came up in eighteen nineteen, I think they came up with a, a little bit more of a um, less sorry, a bit a little bit less upheaval in the summer. I can't quite remember who they signed that summer, but you know they they still they still spent a lot, but it was kind of ne- necessary. And I think even last year, when the when the if you look at the squad Fulham had when they were in the Premier League last time. You know, Ariola in goal has gone on to play for for West Ham and proved himself as a decent goalkeeper. You know, Joachim Anderson has gone to um, Crystal Palace and proved himself to be a pretty good, uh, pretty good defender, pretty solid. Um, Luckman as well. Um, you know, went on to play for Everton and get involved in, in another relegation scrap, but still showing his talent at times. And I think I don't really know what happened last last um, the last time they were in the Premier League because they had enough talent to stay up. Um, I just don't think they quite had the uh, the manager. I think Parker starting off wasn't experienced enough to to know what to do when when things started going a bit pear shaped. 
And I think did they bring Ranieri in after that as well and, and try the luck with him and you know that was that was never going to work because Claudio Ranieri just doesn't work anymore. He, he hasn't worked. He hasn't done a decent job in England for since he left Leicester. So um, that was always poor. So the one thing they've got this time, in my opinion, is the best manager they've had since um, since they've been yo-yoing between the uh, between the divisions because. I think he's. I think Marco Silva is is better than Slavisa Jakanovic was, and I think he's better than Parker was, um, and I think he's got a little. He's got enough experience of, of of the Premier League to to have a proper go at it. I think he's he managed Watford as a newly promoted club, um, and trying to get them established. He took them to the. Um, I think did he take them to the. Uh, FA Cup final or semi final was it? Yeah, they got absolutely pumped by, by City. City. Yeah. Yes, was it six 0 Was it yeah. in the final in the yeah. end? But yeah, still, still a, like a mint run to get there and stuff. But um, I think him in charge gives them a bit more of a chance. I think they need to be smart with the spending. Um, I think looking at the squad, the you know the, the they, they, they do they do need some work. I think the last time they came up, they immediately binned off Marek Rodak in goal and said he wasn't good enough. I, think, I can see that happening again. Um, I think they probably need a centre back because as, as legendary as Tim Ream is <laughs> at centre back um, for them, he's. Uh, I remember last uh, last time they were in the Premier League, I watched the first few games and he was he was just an absolute liability at the back. And as soon as they replaced him with with uh, Adara Bio Bio, oh, I can't see Tosin. Tosin, just going to call him Tosin, yeah. As soon as they replaced him with Tosin and Anderson, who I just mentioned, they got a, they got a bit better and they improved. Um, but this time, you know, they've, they've got to probably uh, try that again. Um, if they loan, if they get Carvalho back on loan, I think that's nice. But the the biggest thing for them is is getting the getting the best out of Mitrovic. And I think that the reason why he doesn't quite work in the Premier League is because of the way Fulham play is very possession based. And you can do that in the Championship. You can be possession based and and enjoy as much of the ball as you can and, and you can build attacks and get Mitrovic into it where you want him to. Whereas in the Premier League you get you're getting pinned back all the time by you know by good teams who can press you and, and pin you back in your own position. And by the time you get it up to Mitrovic, he's on halfway and he's got three defenders around him and he's got to run with the ball and that's not his game. So I think just the the difference in styles in, in the two um two divisions are, are just what's uh, what's hamstrung Mitrovic a lot and that's why he's only got you know, three or four goals in in the Premier League for Fulham over the last uh, couple of attempts at it. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Mitrovic, Marley. He broke Guy Whittingham's record of 42 championship goals uh, when Whittingham was at Portsmouth last night uh, by scoring his 42nd and 43rd respectively. Fulham won convincingly. I think they beat Luton 7-0 and won the title. Um, Will he be okay in the Premier League this time or will he flop again? Because Mitrovic is always someone who scores goals in the Championship. But yet you've seen him up close at Newcastle United. It didn't really work. He's come up with Fulham and it didn't really work in the past. He's back there again. Will this be the time that he finally breaks his Premier League duck and starts to hit his straps or will he flop again? Uh, I I can't see Fulham playing well enough to to get the best out of him as as they do now i think it's it's a bit too much of a gap i think they've got to find some sort of um middle similar ground. to pookie for norwich i suppose is a good good comparison probably yeah but i mean even like i mean how many goals has pookie got this season like five or six it's, it's not very much is it um 
But they have the same, well, a similar problem. You know, if you can get Pookie service in the box regularly, he'll score your goals. And I think the same, the same goes for Mitrovic. You've seen him forty three goals this season, and you know his his partnership with Harry Wilson and and the Tom Kearney behind him, and you know people like that who can scheme and and get him a bit of space in the box is is huge. But that that doesn't really happen in the Premier League, and. I think something has to change whether it's whether they go slightly more direct and and get him into into the game that way a little bit more um or whether they they try and uh, just have a stick a partner up there or something with him I, I'm not really sure but I can't really see it happening because it it just hasn't happened before um so how how can you see it happening again you, we don't know what Fulham are going to do in the summer yet and we don't know how they're going to sort of sort of establish themselves in the Premier League because the, the the squad does it does look very championship-ish you know there isn't many players you would you would slot into a Premier League team um, straight away you know what I mean so it's one of them where something has to change and they have to be streetwise about it and use what they've done in the past two or three years um, coming up to to sort of draw on them experiences and say we're not going to do what we did last time this time we're going to learn from it and come back and and try and establish ourselves a little bit more yeah I do wonder why it is that Mitrovic can't perform as well in the top flight whether it's a a mental thing because it can't be a quality thing he's shown how good he is at scoring goals if you have 70% possession in the championship and then you have 30% in the Premier League like it's it's just a different game isn't it it's a totally different game yeah absolutely I mean the difference between the championship and the Premier League is is significant as teams find out, don't they? Because often we see teams come up and go straight back down again. And let's talk about the other teams, Joel, that could potentially join Fulham in the Premier League next season. Massive game in the Championship tonight, by the way. Bournemouth against Nottingham Forest. That's pretty much a straight shootout for promotion. If Bournemouth win against Forest tonight, they will return to the Premier League. If Nottingham Forest win, they'll go above above Bournemouth in the table with a better goal difference with one game to go. Who do you fancy to win that? Who do you fancy to go up? Who do you want to see in the Premier League next season? Personally, I'd like to see Forest because when Steve Cooper took over, they were bottom of the championship and they could go up in the automatic promotion spots, which just shows how things can turn around pretty quickly in a season. What about you, Joel? Who would you like to see joining Fulham? Yeah, I think most people would like to see Forest just purely on the basis that Bournemouth have had their chance in the Premier League and we don't want to see another team yo-yo up and down again. Uh, but Bournemouth against Forest tonight, that is a massive game. Um, just for the fact that if well, Forest pretty much have to win that, don't they? Just to make sure that they can give themselves the best chance on the final day and they've got better goal difference as well. Um, I think it's always good to see, you know, the sleeping giants of the the the, the first division as it used to be come back into the main one again just I think I don't know how long he's been for Nottingham Forest it must have been a couple of decades now um and the fact that they've just not been anywhere near it at all same with teams like you know Blackburn and all these teams who and Charlton I know they're in league one at the moment but all these teams and who have not really who've been basically in the wilderness for such a long time I think this this is the the perfect chance for Forest to get back into the Premier League. I think I mentioned on a few podcasts ago, I think they were around nine points away from Bournemouth. And I definitely did fancy them just for the fact that Bournemouth in the last few games have had such a tricky fixture run that they've actually 
lost a lot of points in uh, in recent times against Bo- against Fulham, um, a three three draw against Swansea, a nil nil draw against Sheffield. So they have dropped a hell of a lot of points in that time where Norwich have picked it up, but um, Nottingham have picked it up. But yeah, I think most people would want to see Forest back in the Premier League. But I think tonight is their last chance to gain points on uh, Bournemouth, and it's going to be. A, I'm sure that'll be a great atmosphere at their ground. Yeah, it should be fun to watch tonight if you aren't watching the Champions League. Maybe take a look at see who uh, could be in the Premier League next season. Um, as for the playoffs, Marley, we still don't know who's going to come up. So who are your choices if, if you had a choice to, to see teams back in the top flight? Um, well, you, you see not many people. I think, well, what did you say? Most people want Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League, but I'm uh, I'm not one of them. I do. Really? Yeah, just, yeah, just, I just don't. <laughs> Fair enough. I, do you know what it is? It's it's typically typically petty. Um, just when Newcastle were in the Championship, Forest just tried this, like just the way they acted on the pitch and and off the pitch with the fans and stuff. You know, they give it the whole oh yeah yeah you you're down here you think you're gonna go straight back up and we've been down here for 15 years and you're on, it's a really hard league to get out of and it turns out we just we just absolutely. <laughs> and went straight back up with 100 and odd points <laughs> we were like see you later lads you're, you're not good <laughs> we're good you're, you've been stagnating for years made all kinds of mistakes and swap managers every six months but in fairness Steve Cooper's done an incredible job um, the cup runs and the, the league form's been insane and if you look at the, the, the form and momentum of the teams there's only one winner tonight and that's that's not getting Forest um, I, th- I think Bournemouth have been slip in for for a little while now um in terms of their you know i think at one point fulham and bournemouth were were neck and neck and and way clear of anyone else both in terms of the points and in terms of just how they were playing they were miles clear but um it's ended up with with it feels like bournemouth are like clinging on with the fingernails and and forest are like the you know the <laughs> like a Bournemouth are a wounded gazelle in in a forest and Nottingham Forest are the cheetah just about to rip their head off because um, Forest are flying. Oh, but it it is what it is, you know. We'll, I, I'd rather watch this game tonight than than Liverpool against Villarreal. I probably will watch it to be fair. Um, once I get back from uh, playing football, so I'll I'll, I'll flick that on <laughs> first. Um, but yeah, once it comes down to the 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 um, the championship playoff race I would ra- I'd probably pick Huddersfield um I'd, that I'd like to see in the in the Premier League I'm I'm not about this Luton Town fairy tale because <laughs> they will they will break Derby's record if they come up of, of 11 <laughs> points they will they will just get torn no, limb from stink limb the place if they're getting smashed 7-0 by Fulham then who knows what's going to happen when they come up against yeah. someone like Manchester City that's so. what scared me I mean the, the gap between Fulham and Luton last night, seven nil, is is a joke. I mean, it's not. And Luton have something to play for. I know, yeah. Luton are hanging on to that sixth place. You know, Middlesbrough right on their asses in seventh. So, you know, the the state of that performance, you know, and then we consider the, you know, we've just been talking about can Fulham survive in the Premier League? And Jesus Christ, imagine what teams would do to Luton. I know it'd be nice, but you know, everyone's got. A, you know the the narrative on social media. Everyone's got to trudge through that little back garden and through everyone's washing and into the. It is a good into ground the to little, go to. It's a good experience, but it does get tiring yeah, after one it's season. A, it's a good experience, <laughs> but you know it's a it's a Premier League ground. 
after you've done it once it's like oh that was weird that was quite cool and then a couple of times you've done it over the years it's like oh no we've got to go to loot it's again. mad <laughs> honestly the, the, i about set by eight years ago i think it was nine years ago i was um i did a bit of work for hyde united in the conference north um and hyde went down it was the last day of the season hyde went down and luton were coming uh, coming to play them and they were they were they're already champions and they they won the game like three 0 or something like that and Andre Gray was up front for them banging in you know, fifty five goals a season or whatever it was um, and that was you know that was the champ that was to get them into the conference and that was like seven or eight years ago so the ride they've been on is insane the fact that they're potentially four games away from the from the Premier League is absolutely insane um, but for me it it ends there I don't think Luton are, are good enough to to survive or anything like that so in terms of who who you'd want to go up you've got Huddersfield and Sheffield United with the with the parachute payments um still in full effect from from dropping out the Premier League and purely due to the fact that I went to university in Huddersfield I would probably like to see them back in the uh in the Premier League to to have another (laughs) shot at it it's funny who people choose as their kind of choices when it comes to the playoffs. It always is strange reasons it boils down to. Um, by the way, if you're playing five-a-side in Manchester tonight, make sure you don't wear your Nottingham Forest shirt because there is a an angry Marley Anderson charging around you know looking to get stuck into you. I've met I've met a couple of people from Nottingham Forest from Nottingham uh, over the years as well, and they've all been weird so far. They've all been proper strange people. So. Yeah, just you've isolated just about a hundred thousand possible listeners to the podcast, but that's fine. Although, we'll take they are, the hit. They're the only city in the UK that has a Hooters, and I've been there, and that's that's cool. Uh, so. I do like Nottingham. It's a good sporting city with the two football clubs, and then um, the cricket ground within sort of all a walking distance of each other. Um, really enjoy it there. Will they be in the Premier League next season, or will it be Bournemouth? Well, I'm sure we'll talk about the outcome of that game if Bournemouth are promoted on tomorrow's edition of Football Social Daily. But that is it for today. Thank you very much, Joel. Thank you, Marley. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss it. There is loads of action going on between now and the end of the season. So if you want to stay in the loop, as I mentioned, hit that subscribe button. And if so, we'll see you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.